0: Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen. We're going to jump in and get uh, right to work this morning. So excited to be uh, together in God's house. And you know, as we've been walking through this series, it, it really stirred out of First Peter uh, chapter number three and verse 15 with this. Thought that we are to always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is within us, right? That we, as uh, as God's people, that that's who we uh, are called to be. He says, "But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, right?" That that's that. There's this this perspective, right? That we are always to be ready to make an offense or to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And last week we said, "Hey, that there's this reality that in the midst of a world that sometimes seems like nobody." is asking that question. I want to remind you this morning, as we saw families with small children that... Uh, that we were uh, seeing them commit to raising their kids in a way that they would follow uh, Christ and that they would uh, be an example of what it looks like to follow Christ, I want to remind you that there is a generation that is looking. And they're looking uh, at first and foremost their parents, but they're also looking at us. And we need to be giving them a visible representation of what it looks like to follow Christ. You know, when I think about that word prepare, when I think about what that uh, entails, I think about when I first found out, uh, that we were going to have a child. And in those moments, I can remember thinking, how in the world is this going to be? Uh, what, what, what will happen next? And I can remember the first time that I held uh, my firstborn child in my hand, and I remember how small little Hope was. And as I looked at her, I thought, I'm going to break her before I get out of the hospital. Like, I'm thinking, how do you even do this and what is going to be like and then you look at these little phases and you watch them begin to grow and you you long for that first word and you're you're in front of them and you're you're making faces that grown men shouldn't make right that people would do because you want to see them laugh and you want to see them smile and you want to see them say their first word and you're and if you're a dad you're hoping it's dad, and if you're a mom maybe it's mama and you're, you're thinking of all those things and if you're a paul or a granny let me hear you in the house right well, yeah, and, you're, and, and you know, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, right? And so you're looking for those things, and you're thinking, man, I didn't know that I could love like this. I didn't know. And all of a sudden, there's this great sense of of, of just the gift that God has given you. And then all of a sudden, there's also this overwhelming responsibility that you feel. And you think, how in the world am I going to do this? And then you find yourself celebrating like, like your favorite football team won the Super Bowl when they, when they go to the bathroom. You're like, yeah! good job, buddy. You know, you're so excited about all these moments along the way. And and we want to train them up in the way that they should go. And I think about that question. How do we prepare them in the way that they should go? How do we raise a generation that knows the reason for the hope that they have in Christ? And and as parents and as a faith family, we desire uh, to, to come alongside and to work together in doing Just that, and and the measure of that, I believe, is when you see generations of faithfulness, where you see children that are dedicated this morning, uh, raised up in church, and then remaining in the church when they're 25, and when they're 35, and when they're 45, and when they're 85, and they're following Jesus and investing in others and making disciples. The reality is that we all want to be good parents. We all want to be good. Dads, we want to be good moms. We want to be good grandparents. We want to be a we want to be a good church. We'd say, hey, we want to be a church that that, that you want to have your family in because you know if your family is in this church that they're going to be poured into and loved. And that there's going to be uh, a generations of people that have a desire uh, to, to be in the lives of your children and to see them grow. There are statistics that say that if there are five people outside of the parents that are invested in the life of a child that it changes everything. There are, there are so many things that we can glean and as we glean those things we want to walk in those and so we want to be good dads, we want to be good moms. I asked my little boy, one of the things, and, and I miss it so often, but one of the things that I enjoy doing, every other week I take one of my kids out and we just have like daddy-kid time, whichever one that is. And uh, this week was Grant turn, and, and so we have daddy-kid time. And I want to give you all some other advice. We have daddy-mama time too, so we take kids, stay away from us. Right, there's two important things, so, so there's time that I spend with them, and then there's time that I spend with their mama, because one of these days, I'm going to send them out, right? And, and they think I'm going to be crying, but in reality, I'm going to say, all right, we are, there's going to be a part that's sad, I know, and then there's going to be a part that's happy. But we want to live our lives, right, in a way uh, that, that both of those relationships are cultivated, because the, we like to say at Cali that the life of a Jesus follower is all about relationships. First, uh, my wife's probably embarrassed in the back somewhere, but, um, but but we, uh, we, we have these kind of uh, things that, that, first and foremost, our relationship with God and then our relationship with one another and, and the role that God has given us as parents. So I asked my little boy, we were, we were hanging out, we were at our little daddy-son thing uh, on Friday, and I said, hey, buddy, I said, uh, tell me something. I said, I'm working on uh, the sermon for Sunday. I said, so tell me what it's like to be a good dad. And he responded and said, like you, dad. And I said, oh, and he said, that'll be 20 bucks. He said, I... <laughs> He's still mad about the Trump money I didn't give him. And now don't tell him that there's Biden bucks out there. Right? Because he said, Dad, every child right, should get some of that. You're getting it because of me. So he was he, he was kind of leaning into that. But we were talking about that and, and just laughing at some of the things. But we want to be a, a good parent. You know, Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20, really common verses. But I want to uh, just kind of introduce where we're going from those verses. Scripture says, go therefore and make disciples of all... The nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he says something that a lot of times gets left out. And and it's what I want to focus on today. That we teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then he gives a promise in the midst of that. And he says, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age. And so there's this call that we might train up a generation. And his parents and his grandparents and as a faith family, we have a primary role of making disciples, of training up a generation to observe all uh, that has been commanded. It's one of my favorite verses. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 2 says this. He says that, that, that we, uh, we are to take those things which you have seen and heard and learned uh, from me in the presence of many witnesses, and you are to entrust those to faithful men who will likewise do the same. And we're... To raise a generation that follows Jesus and invest their life in making disciples. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 is kind of a a verse that for today that we're going to look at. And it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so from that verse and from this thought of making disciples, I want to give you a, a statement that's really going to frame everything that we do today. And there's going to be three words that start with E that are going to really frame everything that we're doing. So as you read this statement, you'll see it on the screen. And it's this thought that we're to bring our children up by being examples of creating environments for and equipping a generation in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, now this thought that we are to uh, bring up a generation, or we, are, we read in Ephesians six four that we are to bring them up, so we see this thought there, but he, he first tells us something that we 're not to do, and he says fathers you 're not to uh, provoke your children." To anger, So he says, don't do that. And so what is that? I mean, there's this picture of this ongoing, uh, maybe this repeated pattern of treatment that results in anger and frustration from uh, a child that that builds up this anger and resentment that's there. Now, we all blow it from time to time. We all, uh, as parents, we don't get it right all the time. But I want to tell you something that's beautiful is when we don't get it right and we're willing to admit that we didn't get it right and we're willing to model what it looks like to repent before the Lord and before our children, right? Some of the most powerful moments that I've had with my children are times where I've not gotten it right. And I've laid down uh, with my daughter and my son, and I've said, hey, I want you to know when Daddy said this or when Daddy did that, it wasn't what I should have said. And I asked God to forgive me, and I asked you to forgive me. And we need to model those kinds. Of things. So we don't do that, but he says we are to do this. And so we're to bring them up. And that word for bring them up, it gives this picture that we're to look after them and we're to care for them until they are uh, adults, right? That we're uh, to train them. Then it says we're to look after them, we're to care for them, we're to bring them up. And then he says in two things in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Now, for the sake of time, we're going to kind of roll quick. But Proverbs, uh, we have a verse that I hear people quote many, many times. Proverbs 22, 6. And he says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. And we, even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, Proverbs is filled with principles and not promises. And what that says is that this is the way things normally happen. That you train a child up in the way uh, that he should go. And when they grow old, they will not uh, depart from it. Now, there are times that we see prodigals. There's times that we see uh, Circumstances that are there, but there's a principle that we should be able to see, that if we do this, if we train a generation up in the way that they should go, if we train our kids up in the way that they should go, that we should see uh, them as they grow old, not departing from it. But the statistics are alarming. The statistics are alarming of a generation that have been raised in the church, that have found themselves in front of a body of believers where parents have been saying, I commit to raising them, in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And I had to commit uh, to, to engaging and modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus. And, uh, and, and in those kind of situations, and children that have been in student ministry on Wednesday night, and by the way, if you have students in this room on Wednesday night, it is turned into a student worship center. And so at 630, uh, there's a student band and message and uh, little uh, same-gender discipleship groups that take place following all that. So there's a, just a great place to grow your children. But you're seeing kids that have been involved in student ministry that have found themselves leaving the church. And so, logically, in my mind, it says that there's something about the way that we're training them up in America. There's something about the way that we're training them up that's not working. Could it be that we have allowed ourselves to be a people who have you know, I've got a mirror here on stage and this is so I can fix my hair. Um, but, but could it be that we have raised up our kids in a place that is more of a reflection of the world that, that we have these thoughts that we want to be intentional and we want to be accountable and we want to raise our children in a way but what actually happens looks more like the world than it does like the church or than it does like discipleship. And so my thought and encouragement to you today is that we don't allow ourselves to reflect the culture that we are in, but that we might paint a picture. And this building, by the way, is not the church. You are the church, but we are to paint a picture of what it looks like to be a disciple, what it looks like to be the church. And I'm afraid we've traded what is the biblical norm for discipleship for a culture-driven, media-fueled model that has taken things that, uh, and it's resulted in families that are looking like the world instead of the Scriptures. Now, it's interesting to look at statistics, and we're going to look at a few of those today. Barna found that the number one thing that parents desire for their children is, if you said, hey, what do I want for my children? The number one thing that parents, both uh, parents that would, would profess to be followers of Jesus Christ and Uh, parents that would not, say that I want my kids to have a good education. And there's nothing wrong with that. You would find uh, so many dreams, right? I can remember wondering, hey, will my son play football? Will my son do this or that? And so we find athletics and we find uh, activities and we find all those things. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But they cannot be the main thing. And if there's no room for the main thing because of secondary things, then there are things that we have to examine about our... Priorities, right? Because our greatest desire would be that we would teach our children to walk with the Lord, to know Him, and to love Him. And I'm going to give you a hint. We're going to land in this spot. But the greatest goal of us as making disciples, as teaching our kids, growing them, is not simply obedience. I used to think about how am I going to get my kids to obey, and that's still a a question, right? That sometimes, and and if you're parents, like, how do we do that? But the goal is not simply obedience. The goal is. That they would know Him, that they would love Him, and that they would have obedience out of love. See, there's something completely different than obedience that might be out of fear or out of uh, other motives. But but when someone obeys out of love, and that's the ultimate goal, that we might train our children up in a way that they would love Jesus and they would obey Him because of that love. An an interesting study, and I'm going to kind of weave in some statistics from this, was done uh, from a group in Georgia, and they wrote this book called Why They Stay. A guy named uh, Steve Parr, I think, and Tom Kreitz wrote this book, and it was called Why They Stay. And it was interesting. They looked at the results of 26 to 39-year-olds that were still in church that were still loving Jesus, that were still following Jesus. And they looked at the, at the statistical results. They looked at this survey that was done. And they said, what is the difference in these people and those that had left? What was it that, that we could find in people that have stuck with it, in people that have uh, stayed in the church? And they found 15 big issues. They found like 10 small issues. And if you... I did a little summary of some of that on uh, the website. You can go to forward slash disciple or forward slash bulletin and you'll see... Uh, some of those things, but I'm going to lean into a few of them. But the first thing was that these uh, students would emerge from their teenage years with an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, that, that we uh, would see them know Jesus uh, as their Lord and Savior. And, and there were some things about that that were interesting. So there was this picture. I, w- I want to do just a quick uh, survey in the room. If you came to faith in Christ, if you surrendered your life to Christ and were saved before the age of 18, will you raise your hand? I'd just like to see... I you just kind of look around, and I was, and I was after that, but there's a great majority of the room that came to faith in Christ as a child or a student, and I thank God that you are continuing to uh, serve Jesus and walk with Him and, and love Him. But there, was t- there was kind of some interesting things about it. One was that they came to faith in Christ, uh, you know, in, in their teenage years. I think Lifeway says that, uh, 75% of people that come to faith in Christ come to faith in Christ before the age of 15. So there was this thought that they came to Christ at a young age, but not too young. And it was interesting to see, and, and I believe that in our culture, that many times we have seen uh, some some things that were, uh, that, that were not healthy and that were not good. And when we've seen uh, maybe a vacation Bible school with these big group invitations, where all of a sudden you've got... Uh, you know, this this manipulative invitation that says, hey, if, if you don't want to go to hell, come forward. And then say, hey, repeat this prayer after me. And everything's okay. And we've coaxed uh, sometimes children into repeating a prayer and then said, hey, everything is good with you. Uh, you, you are in shape without an understanding of the gospel and without uh, conviction and, and the Holy Spirit working in their lives. And so... I think there's this reality that there's a balance in some of that. That's why, as a uh, as a church, when we engage with children, it's always one-on-one, and it's always uh, in an environment where we can navigate uh, some of those things with uh, with better uh, and just more intentionality. I was someone that uh, had responded to an invitation like that in a vacation Bible school, and then December 27th of 2002 uh, was radically saved by the Lord, and just uh, God flipped my life upside down, right? And I recognized that, that I'd never um, understood the gospel, that I'd never had a relationship with Jesus. And so we're very cautious with that. The second thing that was was universal in all this, the ones that stayed had a high view of Scripture. And, and for the sake of time, I'm not going to go into a lot of those details. You can look at them. But what it meant was that they... Uh, knew that the Bible was the inspired Word of God, and there was something incredible in there. It said that it applies to everyday life. So parents, as you lean in with your children, it it should be that the things that we learn in God's Word, they're a foundation for all that we do, and and they are the standard uh, that is there, that that they uh, would would understand how God's word applies to your home the reason that you do things and the reality is that if you choose to paint an image of what it looks like to follow Christ and you choose to live according to the scriptures there're going to be things uh, about this culture that doesn't that your kids don't uh, ...fit into. There are going to be difficulties about it. In 1 Peter 3.15, that verse when we say we're to give a reason for the hope that's in us, it's sandwiched in the midst of suffering. There's this reality that it's not always going to be easy. And it might even be in those difficult uh, times that we are, have the ability to share the reason for the hope that we have. And so parents... The first thing I want to share is that we have to be the example. And when we think about being the example, if we recognize that this high view of Scripture is the primary thing that makes an impact in the lives of children, in the lives of these these young adults and these adults that are still following Jesus, we've got to be an example when it comes uh, to being in the Word. Here's what the statistics said, here's what the survey said. It said parental faith matters. If parents model a close relationship to the Lord, it seems to be the most influential thing that they can do to encourage their child to stay in the church. The family model of spirituality is the top cumulative effect on remaining active in church. I asked a question on Facebook yesterday just of, of how folks were impacted, and it was amazing the number of people that said, my parents or my grandparents, seeing Jesus work in their lives, the model that they had given. You know, one time when Hope was about four or five years old, I took her with me to the grocery store and we were cruising to the grocery store and she was on this little buggy and she was leaned back against me and we were cruising and I was probably doing like because I'm like a little kid too and so we're having fun and this lady stops and she looks down at Hope and she says, oh my goodness, sweetie, you are beautiful and Hope smiles at that point and then the lady said, you look just like your dad and that was not the right thing to say, right? Because Hope went from that big grin... To a deep frown, and and she looked at her, and she said, "I do not." She said, "I look just like my mama, and I'm so thankful for that." Right? I'm so thankful for that. First Corinthians four sixteen says that uh, Paul says, "I exhort you to be uh, imitators of me." First Corinthians eleven one says, "Be imitators of me, just as I am of." And the reality is that when our kids are imitators of us, they should find us following Jesus and they should learn about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Christ, right? I'm so grateful that God's mercy is more, right? That His mercies are new every morning. That the Lord takes a long look at a man's life. I'm so grateful that we can have mistakes and those mistakes are not the end and God still works in our life. I'm so grateful that our kids can see uh, transformation. Like if you've never been opening your Bible with your family and you decide to start that today, you'll see an impact of God's Word in your life and your kids will see an impact in that. And there were so many people, even in those comments, that said, hey, the biggest thing that happened to me was when my dad started doing this. And then we started following Jesus as a family and, and we started doing these things but we are to be an example we are to be that right? do they see us read the Bible do they see us study do we, do we teach them how the word of God applies to their life this is what we are to do and the reality is that our time is running low right? I, I recognize that that little girl that I was wheeling around all of a sudden is, is 14 and fixing to drive and, and, and not long will be sent out into this world right? It, second thing Church attendance, it was a huge impact. The second thing it said, as an extension of parental faith life, family worship attendance matters. Those who did not attend church regularly as children and youth are unlikely to become regular attenders themselves as adults. And by the way, we, we, we know that, and, and I thank God for our families that have embraced and just worked together with having more and more uh, kids in worship as we've been navigating uh, just the, the, the effects of some of the things that we've dealt with. Uh, from COVID, but there was something interesting in this statistic and something interesting in the survey. And the survey said this, that, that, that your kids and that my kids, they need to see us worshiping, right? That they need to see us with our, 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 our hearts and our affection uh, worshiping the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That when that happens, it changes everything. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have kids church and we shouldn't do this, we shouldn't do that. But it does mean that there are intentional times, right, that our families need to be together worshiping God together. And we need to be teaching them what it looks like uh, to do that. Matthew 6, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Uh, Here's an interesting thing. What does it look like in your family? What's first in your family? What would your kids, what would those from the outside looking in describe as first in your family? There's an interesting thing that's came out in this study that, uh, for those of you that have uh, students that are going to be graduating in a few years, there was an interesting statistic that said when a student graduates, if they connect back into a body of believers at the college that they're at, uh, when they connect in uh, with a, uh, a new faith family that they're worshiping together with, that it made an incredible impact, over twice as likely that they would be in church when they were 35 years old. It's interesting. Many times I've heard parents say when kids have gotten a little bit older, they say, you know what? Um, that Junior decided to stay home today. He didn't want to come to church. Um, so he, he's at home. I, I just want to encourage you. I, as long as they're under my roof, they're under my rule. And we're going to be in the house of God, right? That's just where we're going to be. And uh, Steve Parr, who wrote this book, said that uh, as long as he pays, he gets a say. And he said, my kids are going to be in school and college. He said, "Now they're welcome not to, or they're going to be in church and college. He said, they're welcome not to be. He said, if they choose not to be, that's fine, but they can pay. He said, but as long as I have that influence. And, and we sometimes uh, just, we have a responsibility, right, as parents to train up our children in the way that they should go. And And part of that is being part of a faith family. So, uh, another huge thing was that their, their parents were on mission. They were serving as part of the church, that they served in church as they were growing up. A huge, incredible impact there. And so I want to encourage you, don't wait for a generation to grow up to serve the Lord. Teach a generation to serve the Lord as they grow up. And as a church, make room for that. Uh, sometimes kids can be messy, it can be challenging, it can be all that. But it is worth every moment. We need to engage them uh, in that. So we've got parents that are to be an example as they as they are in the Word at home, as they are in church, as they live their lives. And as a faith family, we are to be an example as well. Chip Ingram said this. He said the greatest thing and the greatest need today that we have is for Christians to live like Christians. Like, like these kids, they need to see us living like Christians in this world. Our Saturday night should match our Sunday morning. Amen? I mean, what you see in here ought to be the same thing you see out there. And by the way, families, the most important thing dads, moms, what you see in here, you know, the greatest measure of who I am is not what you think of me. Obviously, it's what the Lord thinks of me, right? Because he knows the very depths of my heart. But the thing that is important in my life is what my family thinks of me, what my wife would say of me, what my kids would say of Me because they know who I am, and there is nothing of greater importance than what you look like on Sunday morning, matching what you look like in your home as you love and lead your children, as you love and lead your family. There's nothing that will change that, and we need to be a people that engage in that. The environment that we create, uh, and we're going to land this plane quick, but we need to set the thermostat right. I'm looking forward to the day that we have a vehicle that has a uh, passenger-side temperature control and a driver-side temperature control. Because I, like, just sweat as long as I can. And then I open the window, and I, I get as cold as I can, and then I roll the window back up and repeat the process, right? It's just how it works. And we, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that our environment is comfortable, that we're able to sleep well, and we've got the right temperature, and we've got all those kind of things. But we, as parents... We need to be more concerned with the spiritual temperature in our home than anything else. See, a a Christian home is not just a house full of Christian people. It is a place where kids grow up, and they grow up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord, where where there's wisdom that's applied. One of the things that kids said is when I grew up in my home, the ones that stayed said my parents had a balanced look at discipline. They had uh, a picture of that, and two extremes were really damaging, right? Two extremes uh, were difficult. There was these uh, families that had no guidelines, right? Uh, Do what you want, chew what you want, go where you want, do whatever you want. There's that extreme, and then there's another extreme that's that's all the way on the opposite extreme uh, of that. But here's the truth, that uh, rules without relationship it leads to rebellion, right? If there's just rules in your family, and if all it is is this harsh place of the law where all those things are there, rules without relationship, you can make them obey for a little while. But rules without relationship, it eventually leads to rebellion. But when the relationship is right, when they see your heart and the reason, the why behind it, that your heart is that you are in uh, submission to the Word of God, right? And that you've hidden the Word of God in your heart so that you might not sin against Him. That there's this, this reality that It is the sword, right, that we are taking the Word of God and that we're breathing it into our children, right, and that that we're sending out into this world our kids a concealed weapon that's in them that's the Word of God that would allow them uh, to withstand temptation, that would allow them uh, to walk in uh, this world, And, and we would do that. We would put these boundaries, and these boundaries would be prescribed by the Word of God, and there would be a love and a relationship that would allow those rules to intersect in that way, there would be bonding, there would be boundaries, right? That there would be an environment where they grow. And here at church, an environment where they can serve, an environment where they can grow. Because we are called to equip, All right, The third E, we are called to equip. And, and by the way, and we are blessed with just an incredible amount of Young families that are coming into our midst. We saw today just the blessing of these families as they dedicated their children to the Lord. Uh, we, I, I want to ask you as a faith family, just to be praying about uh, just our next steps and our our kid men. We are are filling up with the capacity that we have right now. We filled up this week by Thursday, uh, where we we uh, we just always have a waiting list of kids being able to come into our. Kid men, and I just believe with all my heart that it is time that we engage in a greater way as we pour into these children. When we first uh, walked into the dynamic with COVID, there was this reality that everything kind of came to a pause, and we began to examine what does all this look like in the future? How does this work? And all those things paused. And then we had a great number of of, uh, volunteers, of senior saints that were part of that group that just said, you know what, I love pouring into these children and, and growing that. And then there was anxiety about, you know, just health safety, and all the things that are there. But as we've walked through and as we've seen these young kids, that they don't get it or give it very easily. And, and I just want to, to pray together that we might be able uh, to engage in a greater way uh, in that, that we might be able to expand the things that we're offering, that we might be able to serve uh, these families, that, that these families might be able to serve one another, that we might be able to see uh, just the amount and growth that we could engage in, that we might could pour uh, into that next Generation, So we're to equip them, right? We're, we're to see this example that we paint. We're to an environment that we create. And our heart is that we would equip them. Because the reality is that we want the same things. We want them to grow up in the discipline and, and the instruction of the Lord. And we want to teach them. And we have rules and boundaries. And those things release over time in a way that, that they go from being disciplined by their parents to being self-disciplined in the Lord. And that they are sent out making good decisions on their own for the glory of of God, right? We we When they're at a certain age, they're not ready, right, to make those decisions. And so we allow them decisions that they can make that don't have tremendous consequences so that they can learn that reality is a teacher, right? That it does impact their life, that there are those things that are uh, there, but the consequences aren't big. And gradually, we allow them to make more and more of those decisions. Gradually, we prepare them to be released. We teach them to serve. We teach them about Jesus. We engage in those things. We teach them Uh, to live their lives not for themselves, right? We're in a selfie generation, right? We're we're in a place, we don't even need mirrors. We can just look at our phone, and and while we're there, once we get our hair just right, we can take 1,112 pictures, and we can send them out, and we can post them on social media, and we can hope to get some likes, and we can do all those kind of things, and the culture that we're in, it's me, me, me driven. It's self-driven, but we, as the people of God, are to consider others as more important than ourselves. We're to have the mind of Christ, right? We're to give our lives, we're to live our lives in service to one another, and we're to teach our kids... We're to equip them and and give them opportunities for that. We're to to walk with them in that. In a book I was reading, I want to read a couple of quotes, and I'm closing. But it says, you cannot be a Christian family. It's called What is Family Discipleship the name of the book. But it says, you cannot be a Christian family if you are not a disciple-making family. Because your family cannot truly follow Christ if you're not doing what Christ commanded. Trying to become more and more like him and leading others to do the same, and my hope is that we, as parents and as a church, that we would uh, commit and come alongside and, and come around the life of children—those that are in our immediate family, those that are in our church family—and you already do an amazing job at that. But we have great need as God continues uh, to draw and bring people to our uh, church, and, and as we continue. Uh, just to see that happen, we want to be ready for that. And we want to invest in what the most important thing in any of their lives, and that's their spiritual development. And so parents, families, God's not called you to do that on your own. He's not called uh, you to, 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 to walk in this uh, in your own strength. But what he has called you to, he will equip you for. And it is my heart that as a, as a church, that we could continue and, and our kids man, and our student ministry that, that much of their time would not only be poured into your students and in your children, but into parents as we equip you to do what God has called every one of you to do, and that is to be the primary disciple of your children. Some of you hear all that and you're saying, man, I am way too busy to add something else to my life. I am way too busy. I want to tell you, you are way too busy not to disciple your children, you are way too busy. You don't have time to not be dedicated to this. If there is anything, you're not gonna you're not gonna get to the end of the time that you have that child in your home. You're not gonna get in those places and look back and go, you know what? Um, I, I, I wish I'd, I'd worked more. I wish I'd done this more. I wish I'd done that more. We we have a limited amount of time to make a difference. But here's the thing: following Jesus is not adding something else to an already busy life. Following Jesus is having him the center of everything in your life. Deuteronomy 6 gives this beautiful picture, right, that, 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 that we would see a people that would love God with all their heart and with all their mind and that they would, that they would teach their children it, as they would rise up and as they would lie down and as they would walk along the way. There's this picture of every part in their lives that those places would be places that we would make disciples, that we would uh, be quick to tell the stories, that we would be quick to remind them uh, how God's mercy is more, right? We would be quick to remind them of the grace that's been extended to us, of who had delivered us out of bondage, right? Because God, God desires that every part of your life be centered on Him. We can't have a separate part of our life that looks like the world and then a separate part of our life that we try to paint a picture Of the church. See that doesn't work or fool anybody. Especially our kids. What's happened is that 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 desire to honor Christ. And that desire to lead our kids. Has to override everything else in our life. Where we give ourselves to the call of making disciples. That we give ourselves to the cause of Christ. Because the truth is we're always discipling our children. Either for good or for bad. Every day we're teaching them. Every day we're painting a picture of something or we're reflecting this world. I want to read a quote by Charles Spurgeon and I want to challenge every family to resurrect an altar in their home. You know, I I can remember Zena Pearl Brogdon, who's our oldest church member or our longest uh, church member. And I remember talking to her one day and I was talking to her about her coming to Christ and, and she was telling me about how her family would gather and she said, you know, we'd have this family altar She said we would pray together and we would read God's word together. We might call it family worship today. You know, last week we talked about just this call to corporate prayer, just this call that we might uh, express our dependence on God in this place. I want to encourage you to express your dependence on God in your place, right? That our homes, no matter how old you are, no matter where you're at, that we might resurrect a family altar, that we might resurrect uh, a time where we would gather and where our kids would see us worship God throughout the week, where, where, where we would engage in His Word and we would pray and we would teach them to pray, that we would encourage them, that we would engage with them. Here's what Spurgeon said. He said, but once let the family altar be forsaken. And let parents forget the natural duty of ordering their households before the Lord. And you may guard the church as you will, but your labor will be in vain. You have cast down her hedges. The bear out of the woods shall waste her, and you have taken away the tower of the flock. And when the wolf comes, he will find the sheep an easy prey. Christian parents, with all my heart, I would say to you do not sin against the child by your ill example or by your neg- negligence as to his salvation, but seek the Holy Spirit that to your own offspring you may fully discharge the solemn duties which providence and grace have thrown upon you. It is my hope that we, we would take the things that were said in this altar, that we would take those things that these parents said, that, hey, we're inviting accountability and intentionality, and we, we desire to raise our children away. And really where the rubber meets the road is what we do with those commitments, there's a lot of things I've committed to and said, "Man, I'm going to do this and I'm going to charge." Man, the execution of that makes all the difference. And I'm going to close. We're going to worship. We're going to we're going to sing a song um, that says, "Yet not I, but Christ in me." And I, I just want to tell you, I man, you can't do this on your own. There, there's there's nothing in us that could do this on our own. But I want to tell you something. If you're in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says that you're his masterpiece, that you're his workmanship, that you're created in Christ Jesus, that you're his, you're, you're his poem, you're his painting. There's something beautiful that God is doing in you and the desires to do through you and through the power of the gospel in our lives. We no longer say, you know what, I can't do these kind of things, but with Christ in us, as he lives his life in and through us, we are able, we are equipped, and he will, he said, he said, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. We have the ability to walk in what he has called us to. Joshua 24, 15, we see this incredible picture and, and I want to invite you just to stand and I'll, I'll keep talking. The band's going to come. But we see this incredible picture of uh, just this declaration. Joshua says, you know what? He said, I don't know what everybody else is going to do. He said, you can serve the gods that were on the other side of the flood. He said, you can do all those things. But he says, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. He said, as for me and my house... Say, we're gonna serve the Lord. And, and it's my hope that there might be a people that are renewed today that, that every household in this place, every household that's connected online, that you might have that same kind of declaration. I don't know what the rest of the world's gonna do. I don't know what culture is gonna do, but I see the direction that they're going. I don't know what the rest of this I don't know what the rest of the world is going to do, but as for me and my house, there needs to be some men that will rise up and say, you know what, I know that God has called me to lead. Did you notice he said, fathers... Did you notice that? We've got a generation, and I thank God for the investment of moms. How, I am so grateful for that. But we've got a generation that says, hey, the moms can do all that kind of stuff. And the moms, but the responsibility, if you notice in this passage, was given uh, to the dads. He said, fathers, he said, don't exasperate your children. Don't drive them to anger. Don't provoke them. But he said, you raise them up. He said, you rear them. You nurture them. You raise them up in the discipline, and in the instruction of the Lord. There needs to be some men that'll say, you know what? I'm going to go home and change the temperature. And if it's not good for my kids, it's not going to be good for me. There's a purging that needs to happen in the houses of God's people where we say, you know what, we're not going to let the garbage in. If there's TV that's on, we're not going to wait until the kids go to bed to watch it because if it's not good enough for them, if it's not something that's wholesome for them, then it's not something for us. We need to be a people that will say, you know what, we're going to take the holiness of God seriously. We're going to not haphazardly approach the very throne room of heaven. And we're going to remember that it was His grace and His mercy that allows us to approach and We don't come saying, you know, uh, man, I know that I'm forgiven, so I'll just do things haphazardly as I please. But we come knowing the cost of our salvation. We come knowing that it was Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary that purchased and bought. Scripture says that you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your bodies. We need a generation of people, a generation of men that'll rise up, that'll stand up, that'll say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to live for Jesus. We're going to have a home that honors Him and serves Him. And I can't do it on my own. We need a people that will say, you know what? There's nothing in me. There's nothing good enough in me. There's nothing that I can do on my own. But with Christ in me, with Christ in me, I'm going to lift my life out of an overflow of what He's doing. I'm going to spend time with God. I'm going to get up in the morning. I'm going to be an example to my family that they might get up and they might find me in the Word of God. That they might find me worshiping God. That they might find me on my face before God and out of an overflow of that, that I might live life for the glory of his name. We need men like that. And the only way you'll do it is through the power of the Spirit of God in you and through dependence on Christ. And my hope is that today that we might, that we might be a people that would just say, you know what, God, I surrender everything to you, Lord. There's nothing that I want more than to be who I'm supposed to be, to be an example, to create an environment and to equip my children, to equip a generation to follow him father we ask you lord to do what only you could do in this place god that you might help us lord god we're not able on our own lord there's nothing good in us god we don't have strength lord we make commitments that we uh, that we we don't keep lord help us to be intentional help us to to live lord out of an overflow of a relationship with you god may we declare today lord ask for me in my house we're going to serve you we're going to live for you god as we enter into this time lord as we worship God, I pray that folks would be obedient, Lord, whether it be that they want to come to an altar where they want to call on you from the place that they sit. Lord, I pray, God, that there would be surrender, God, that there would be dependence, Lord, that there would be change. Lord, that only happens in the power of your Spirit. God, help us to, to spur one another along. Lord, we love you. God, if there's someone here that's never surrendered their life to you, never trusted you, God, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them in the power of your Spirit, God, that they would understand that, Lord, it is only... Uh, by your grace, Lord, that they're saved. God, that it's through the cross of Christ, Lord, not the work that we have done, but the work that has already been done. And God, I pray, Lord, that, God, you might draw them. Lord, that they might be willing to turn from their sin. Lord, to repent of their sin, to change the direction that they're going, God, and to follow you. God, I pray, Lord, there might be a dad in this room, God, that God that knows he's apart from you, knows that he's never, God, that in the power of your spirit, Lord, that you've convicted his heart, maybe even this morning, and says that he doesn't have a relationship with it, he's never been saved, Lord, and, and God, that this morning you might, you might draw him to repentance, Lord, that he might surrender his life to you, Lord, and God, that you might raise him up, Lord, to, to do what you've called him to do. God, we trust you, Lord, and we ask you, Lord, to do what only you can do. And we ask it in the strong and the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together.